you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Around the NFL Podcast. Insert generic money tag here. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled, and I mean filled, with heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal, and yes, the great Chris Wessling. What's up, boys? Hey, Dan. There he is. Sounds good. Wes is back. Back in, yep. Wes on the flagship show. You know it's going to be good. Mm. How are you, buddy? Well, we can't promise anything beyond the next hour, but I'll, I'll give it my best for for that hour. Um, feeling okay, just trying to get rid of this pain. That's been the main. That's been the main problem all along. Is just pain. Uh, my doctors are pretty happy that that tests are showing that the cancer itself is under control. Excellent. It's just that we found nothing to give me relief from uh, from pain. So um, that's the next. Uh, I guess the next frontier. Unbelievable. Well, that is great news in one part and frustrating news in the second part because we know how long this has been going on now. But um, you're a tough SOB, my friend. And, and, and that facial hair is look, it's looking hot. I mean, um, whether you're struggling, <laughs> the facial hair is not struggling. Well, I have to keep up with my son, not not facial hair wise, but but cuteness wise. You know, he's getting all the Instagram love lately. So I think we well, should have God, a I got to compete. A there. special focus on not assigning West to anything related to Chicago's offense in terms of reducing pain <laughs> um, and annoyance. That feels fair. Um, so with West returning to the flagship show, and yes, this is our comprehensive look back at the Sunday that was in Week Nine of the National. Football League. Wes was our eye in the sky, uh, checking in on uh, various games. And um, the rest of the gang here uh, had our game assignments. And, of course, uh, Nick Shook will join us a little bit later. He hits a couple games every Sunday. So we got the whole thing working. And and before we get going, <coughs> Sizzler. Oh, I'm well, sorry. S- yeah, so that you know the cough button didn't hold. Well, that. no, it, that it was a, that was a disaster, and that's that's the second um, time I've been uh, completely embarrassed, uh, you know, on live air, if that's what you want to call it, with a with a cough. We could edit it out, but we won't. 
<laughs> no, I know we will not. Like I, I understand where this is going. Apologies to the hundreds of thousands of people that were um, dismayed by that. That was gross. And yeah, you you mentioned the numbers of listeners. Um, that's a nice segue, Mark. Good recovery, even if uh, it was accidental. Ricky, come in here real quick. We did our first recap of Week Nine was Thursday night football. Uh, Packers Niners tilt that was sleepy to say the least, especially if you were a fan of the team up there by the bay. And during this happened during you know the grips of the presidential race and the counting of the ballots, and and we we wondered at the end of that brief recap if anyone was listening and to send us a little hashtag and I happen to be wearing a Godzilla t-shirt so Ricky suggested why don't we make it Godzilla if you're still listening at the end of the recap hit us up on Twitter well it turns out by Saturday morning hashtag Godzilla was trending in the UK so wow (laughs) amazing Incredible well, uh, testament to our listeners' uh, loyalty, right there. We put I had the to over mute the whole sound. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Erica, I which I found to be a bit of a uh, La Reveal Magnifico that she basically just drowned out um, these responses from these loving listeners. But we'd put the over under at ten responses, and I think that <laughs> it was closer to um, ten thousand. I mean, I, that's stretching it a bit, but I'm going to say ten thousand. Got to check 10, the channel and see if some creature isn't crawling out of there. <laughs> you get a hashtag like that. So yes, that was very cool too. So uh all right. So thank you to the listeners. We got a lot of games to get to. Let's start out with a great interconference showdown. Josh Allen in the gun, Maybe. takes a snap, gonna keep it himself, runs to his right, gets inside the five, into the end zone, touchdown Buffalo. Josh Allen, it only took one play to cash in on Tredavious White. Amazing interception. Touchdown Buffalo. John Murphy sounded like he was up late a lot of Americans up late this weekend voice gave way a little bit but he got the call out WGR Josh Allen threw for 415 and three touchdowns he rushed for another score leading the Bills to a 44 to 34 win over the Seahawks in Orchard Park Allen entered this game in a personal slump but Seattle's defense was the perfect remedy even with Carlos Dunlop on the field and Jamal Adams wreaking havoc near the line of scrimmage. It didn't matter uh, because Seattle can't cover anybody. And uh, that was my big takeaway from the game. This has been something that's kind of been on the radar um, of a lot of people, myself included, that the Seahawks defense is just such an issue that uh, it's hard to take them serious as a true Super Bowl contender. And I thought it was interesting what Pete Carroll and... uh, Ken Norton did here and I would be curious if the scientists could give me a little more insight if this is typically how they run their defense but they just went mad with the blitzing they were just bringing the house at Josh Allen and I I don't know if they they scouted Allen and said if we can just disrupt him that way we're going to um, find a way uh, to take advantage of mistakes as Allen is prone to of course uh, but it got to the point where it was just they were coming after him every time. And if they weren't getting home, and they did get home. They had seven sacks, Seattle's defense. But when they didn't get home, it was, you know, an open prairie field in the secondary. And the Bills just kept piling up points. They got up, off to a 17-point lead. Um, as you might expect, Ru- Russell Wilson and the Seahawks mount to come back and make it a one-score game in the second half. But Wilson, again, just like in their first loss of the season, he has such a thin line of error that and I'm talking about the Seahawks as a team if they don't if he doesn't play perfectly or close to it 
they have a good chance to lose if they're playing a good team. And he had four turnovers in this game, two interceptions, two lost fumbles that accounted for 16 Buffalo points. And that's how it went. Mm. I I think that Pete Carroll is going to have regrets. And I want to watch this game more closely. But I heard his you know comments after the game where he said, we had a real nice plan for their running game. And that they were very surprised that they totally ditched the run, which seems crazy to me. This is the NFL. And no one watching the Bills, despite them running the ball pretty well the last two weeks, would consider them a better running team than a passing team. They, they had two good matchups the last two weeks, and they ran the ball well against them. But it's the NFL. You always got to start by stopping uh, the pass. And to put it uh, even in more context, the Bills have been stopped by a pretty consistent game plan over the last month in terms of Josh Allen of backing off, not blitzing, uh, making him sit back there and make decisions and slowly, you know, move the ball down the field and see if that's how he's going to make a mistake. So it seemed it just listening to you that it plays right into the Bills' hands. I can see how Pete Carroll's approach. Um, to answer your question, Dan, the Seahawks are not known for blitzing and getting after quarterbacks. They don't really get after quarterbacks at all. Right. Um, it could be games plan specific. Maybe the book on Josh, Josh Allen, according to the circles that Pete Carroll runs in, is this is the guy you have to pressure because he can get rattled. But like Greg said, this is a passing offense. And he, moreover, they're a passing team. They're a bad defense and they're a bad running team. So what do they have left? The passing game. And I don't think it's any coincidence they looked a lot better with Smokey Brown healthy. He's a bit of a Jenga piece for them, had not been mm-hmm. playing well, had been injured and missing time, and, and they really missed him. Um, I, to me, this, this team lives and dies with Josh Allen. He is their offense. Yeah, I mean, you know, Pete Carroll also said after the game, I didn't recognize that contest. I didn't recognize that game. That, that, that it, They've it been in every week. Like, well, but it doesn't happen every week in terms of Russell Wilson throwing right. two killer picks, um, being destroyed by Jerry Hughes, losing two fumbles. He's been pristine. They've been relying on a completely pristine version of Russell Wilson. And when that falls apart, this happens as well. So to that point, and credit Brian Dayball and the Bills' attack, they call up their first 22 plays of the game, 20 or passes. So... Mm-hmm. This was a uh, concerted effort to attack Seattle's defense through the air. Allen threw for 156 yards in the first quarter alone. By the half, he was up near 300 yards with three touchdowns already. So it was two touchdowns already. It was really another ugly affair for Seattle's defense. And um, Quinton Dunbar stood out to me as someone that was a major target uh, in that secondary. He was getting picked on all day by Stefan Diggs. And uh, to the point where he eventually got benched in the fourth quarter, Lyndon Stevens comes in and um, yeah, you you tell me. (laughs) And, um, you know, Jamal Adams return. He did. He was there. He's he he makes impact plays near the line of scrimmage. But there are also several plays in this game where he's running through the secondary chasing guys after they lose him on route. So it's like, I don't know. Obviously, Adams is a, a big gain to this team in terms of his playmaking ability uh, near the line. But for a team that can't cover anyone, that was never his forte with the Jets either. Um, they just have a lot of issues. And for the Bills and Josh Allen especially, after those four great weeks and then four so-so to bad weeks for Allen to get back here mm. and now be 7-2 and two, um, and being in control of the division, uh, you got to be feeling very good. It's such a massive win for them. 
we, we said it coming after last last week. How should you feel about them? In and and I said in a sense they should feel okay because they have the players to play better and they're six and two. So the 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 whole season is still in front of them. They have big time goals, but to get a, a convincing win like this where you put forty up there, their defense they're kind of playing the same game as the Seahawks, where their defense just needs to be average. Seahawks have not had an average defense. I think the Bills defense should get to being average and maybe maybe this at least turning the ball over against you know, get forcing four turnovers is a start in that direction. All right. So let's move now to uh two great all three late games went down to the final play just about. Uh, so let's uh, cycle through a couple of them, starting with a trip to the desert. Mm. This will be a 49-yard field goal. It's in. <laughs> kick is up, and the kick Surprised. is good. And so we're tied with one. Fi- no, oh, no, you short. missed it. It shorted it. Yeah, <laughs> it was right down the middle, and it was if the wind came out and blew it dead. What a break for the Dolphins. Oh. I thought the same thing at Jimmy Cephalo, Jason Taylor, Joe Rose, WQAM. You know, I had a lock on the line here at the Cardinals, and Zane Gonzalez lines up for the 48-49 yarder straight down the middle. This is the, hey, son, this is the NFL. We don't fall short on anything sub-50 in this league in perfect condition. So that was a stunner for the Cardinals. Uh, and that was the difference uh, because Tua Tungavailoa and the Dolphins really showed up to play in the desert. They they escaped the desert. Well, I'm going to just keep saying the desert. Uh, with a well-earned 34-31 win. And that's four straight wins for the Dolphins, Greg. I mean... Um, Unbelievable! I, I made you know a little sound going into because it it's wow the Cardinals Dolphins making it all the way to the second spot in the show, but it it uh, it deserved it. I've had a bad streak of picking bad games um, coming into these Sunday. I've had a lot of clunkers, so this one uh, was good. This one you know maybe gets me on a winning track here because it was one of the most fun games I've had to watch all year. Tua, good one versus Kyler and Tua Tungavailoa. I think has to make Dolphins fans so excited and we can go into kind of the strategy of what went into that field goal attempt and everything that happened in the last couple of minutes but I want to take it back to the end of the third quarter it was 31-24 the Cardinals were rolling it felt like maybe the Dolphins had given their best shot they're backed up against their own goal line it's third and nine and after that point at Tua had one of the best drives I've seen all season by any quarterback. A third and nine where they come after him. They get the pressure quickly. They get the matchup they want really quickly. And he throws a perfectly accurate uh, throw to Hopkins on third and nine to the right shoulder. Or else that might have been a pick six. But it was so accurate, uh, he gets it done. Then another third down where he evades uh, a number of different Cardinals rushers. Looks athletic, picks up the first down, has a 17-yard throw to to Parker, and then down towards the goal line, he makes an athletic play just kind of with a twitchiness that makes you feel like, wow, this guy has got some of his juice back in his legs and, you know, capped the drive with a beautiful touchdown pass. And that drive just made me feel like I I already felt like it when they made the decision because they have, I think they have to see what Tua was all about. But that drive was kind of the moment where it was like, well, of course this was the right move because they need to have this guy on the field and see what he can do the rest of the way. And he is already showing uh, the type of potential that he has in a game like this. I mean, that 17-yard run that he had was 
that was electrifying. And, you know, we were up here where you're watching all these games at the same time. And I, and I thought that, you know, lost in last week's Miami victory was Miami. the fact that Tua <laughs> just did not look good at all. I mean, he and the whole offense didn't. And I think they want to surround him with a strong run game, and they are battered at running back. They just can't do that right now. And so a lot of it falls to him. And today was such a positive step. And, you know, Dolphins fans have gone decades without a quarterback to root for. We all know that, you know, post-Dan Marino. You saw something today, and I think it goes beyond just Tua, too. This is a mentally tough team. They're really well-organized. They do something with special teams every week. Uh, every time I look up Emmanuel Ogba, who was a cast-off in Cleveland, is making plays. It's a bunch of guys who probably the average fan has not heard of, but will hear of soon because this team is intriguing. They're 5-3. and three. They are a threat. Yeah, Greg mentioned that you have to see what Tua has this year just because you have to make a decision next year at quarterback. But I thought it was interesting – Go back a week, and Jay Glazer um, with Fox Sports reported that the Dolphins made this decision for this year. They believe that Tua gives them a better chance than Ryan Fitzpatrick the rest of this hmm. season, and that was eye-opening to me because you just don't see this situation in the NFL. You see a lot of times where the, the team isn't good, so why not go with the rookie? But the, the, and- the Dolphins were playing well, reaching their peak in an open um, AFC East, and they decide to go with a rookie because they think he's better. And, you know, there was also another report connected to Tua that circulated this weekend. ESPN's Adam Schefter reported that the first and second round picks the Dolphins have acquired from the Texans played a role in the decision to start Tua. Uh, as crazy as this sounds, they have enormous draft capital uh, at, at the highest level of the drafts this upcoming spring. And they are not ruling out the idea of going after another quarterback if they don't like what they see from Tua. So they want to get him on the field as soon as possible, which all makes sense. It's also kind of mind-boggling because <laughs> right. he's played four quarters, and now it's like he's playing for his job Although somehow. They made that report even before he got the starting job, to be fair. But it totally makes sense, right? Yeah. But didn't it, it popped up again this weekend, though? It, maybe it was phrased differently, but People, it was yeah, they the fact started that out there it. right now. Yeah, he, he Roto World, for some reason, you know, noticed it a week later. Um, and it, it makes sense. And I, and I think it's because you got to see him play in a game to know. And I'm sure they love what they saw today because he's crafty. I mean, and that, Ooh, that's not... Beastie he doesn't, song. He doesn't necessarily, you know, have every trait that you look for in a number one overall pick. His arm is not stronger than the NFL average. Um, he said he felt like he was running in quicksand today. He's not slow, but he's, he's definitely not... Um, a run first guy, uh, but man, his decisiveness and his uh, way he keeps his eyes downfield and the way he made defenders miss too as a runner, even if he's not like the fastest guy and just kind of the, a feel for the game that is hard to define from a quarterback. It it looks like he has that. And some of these quarterbacks coming into the league, they just seem so much more ready than they've been. I mean, crafty can also mean a very high ceiling. I think Ben Roethlisberger and Phillip Rivers are crafty. You know, Teddy Bridgewater's crafty, too, on a different state. But that's the type of quarterback I think Tua is going to be. And, man, like, out, I'm not going to say he outshined Kyler Murray, who was unbelievable, but he, in the end, he got the better of him. I mean, Patrick Mahomes on. is crafty. That guy does something crafty right. every week. <laughs> right. I'm going to get on Cliff's Kings, Cliff Kingsbury for the second time in three weeks. Um, for being a little gun shy in a big moment, didn't love bringing out Zane in the first place. There, yeah, that game felt set up for Tua v Kyler, and these two guys were going to settle it. Um, and I kind of thought that Kyler Murray, after they fell behind there on the Jason Sanders 
field goal, the second one, that he was going to lead him down the field to score. And they got a little bit of rotten luck, the Cardinals, where they kept on falling short of the first down marker by a yard or so. It happened on three different occasions. It yeah. led to a turnover on downs. It led to the missed field goal uh, with a, maybe a little better luck or a better spot from the officials. We're not, I'm not talking about this right now, but I would have loved to keep Kyler Murray on the field, fourth and one, uh, when a long field goal is the alternative. That didn't quite add up to me, and you ended up getting burned by not being aggressive. I- Plus, you've named someone Zane, so there's going, <laughs> things are going to be. It's going to be an up and down. I, I was like a lot of people, just like the announcer there, that I just I put my head down after I saw it was you know middle of the uprights. I don't know. I just sometimes don't watch the field goals all the way through, and then hear that was good. Hear the announcer say it's short, just because you never expect a forty nine. Never see that. He he had a fifty six yarder earlier this uh, season, but uh, to your point on the short yardage. As great as Kyler Murray played, and we should point out, he had four touchdowns and only five incompletions, and he ran for 106 yards. And his his running is the most unstoppable play in football. This was the best game I think he's ever had running. He, he did have that, that fumble that was returned for a touchdown um, where he kind of ran into it. And then on the third and one play you mentioned right before the field goal, the, the throw was there. People killed them for the play call in terms of throwing the ball, but he just kind of short hopped the throw. So on a, on one of his best days I've ever seen him, he just had a couple regrettable plays and you can't make plays like that against the Dolphins. They'll make you pay. I like this Dolphins <laughs> Miami's. <team. laughs> They're fun. They're a good team. Henry Hodgson, Neil Reynolds. All those Dolphins fans are uh, having a little bit of fun this this year. All right, let's uh, move on to another epic finish in the late games. One second on the clock. Herbert's going to take the snap. Four-man rush, lob it to the right. High, caught, grabbed in the air, shaking, touchdown. They went over to 6-8 Donald Parham. Still has a review here. They're looking at the replay as that ball popped out on the ground. The ruling on the field has been changed. The receiver did not make Jackpot! Vegas wins, baby! <laughs> <laughs> Brent Musburger. That's his call. Jackpot. Vegas wins, baby. KRLV. Yes, for a moment it looked as if the Chargers would finally have a storybook ending of their own in the final seconds, but no. Lucy pulled the ball away from Charlie Brown once more. Raiders 31, Bolts 26 in Hollywood Park. Um, Actually, twice this one was crazy. I mean, we we talk about the Chargers every week blowing games, but this one. Twice in the final five seconds of game time, Herbert appeared to connect with the receiver on a game-winning score. You had Mike Williams with five seconds to play. He nearly comes down with the ball, doesn't survive the ground. Uh, then you have Parnum, is it Parnum? Parham? Yeah. Parnum? Parham. Uh, Donald Parnum, who appeared to have the game winner until we got to the sixth or seventh replay. And it's only then, and that's <laughs> what makes it, again, with the teams that are truly the teams that are in the pain, the true top tiers of the pain rankings, it's that little extra bit of pain that separates them. And the Chargers are the team that. It, the first six replays show a game-winning catch. The seventh replay shows the ball clearly hitting the ground. So instead of a season-saving win, it's likely curtains for the Chargers at 2-6. and six. And the 5-3 and three Raiders, they probably know they got away with one tonight. Hmm. I, I don't know what to say anymore about this Chargers team. I mean, it's it's epic. I know, like, the pain rankings, you don't change them each week and all, but this... 
this stretch is wild. This this doesn't have this this last couple of years of Anthony Lynn is just wild. The different ways that they lose, and this felt like it was going to kind of be a flip situation. Um, you know, just because they're the ones with the ball at the end. Herbert played great. Uh, some of his deep passes were just outrageous uh, in this game again. But it's the same thing every week. He plays great, and they find a way to lose. I just, I mean, I think from a game-to-game experience, the Chargers are something, there's no, there's really no rivalry. Like, what they're going through with these last-minute um, implosions, there's nothing to touch it. Mm. At the same side, I would not put them in any pain ranking right now watching their quarterback the way he plays. Fair. It's just, to me, from a, from a larger bird's-eye view, and, like I, like, I think Chargers fans, like, they have a right to feel, you know, heartbroken after a game like this and all these other string of um, issue games. But at the same time, like, you are watching someone who's going to change the NFL and change the Chargers forever. I mean, he's literally going to completely alter that franchise. And every time they have the ball, you feel that they can do anything. And their downfield passing game is so active, so vibrant, so dangerous – I thought they gave the Raiders a complete run for their money and could probably beat any team in the league if they were, I think, frankly, a little bit better coached with some of this last-minute stuff. I mean, and it probably puts ownership into a weird position to see, depending on how the season ends, because now you have, like, a precious jewel at the center of your offense. You want to treat it correctly. You don't want to be in these game situations where you don't trust the coaching staff. So they've got to prove to ownership that they can pull these games out. you got the rest of the season to do it, but the DNA tells us they cannot so far. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Mark. I, I know I think about sports pain a little bit differently than most people, because when you've got Justin Herbert, and, and maybe he's not Dan Marino, where he comes in and you haven't seen a quarterback like this before in your entire lifetime as a rookie, maybe he's not quite that. But to see a guy this aggressive and making that many chunk plays and big plays and under pressure every week and you're waiting for it to stop and it never stops, it just keeps doing it week in and week out, to me, that's the best hope you got. There's no pain at all there. I mean, I know mm. they keep losing in the now, but they've already got Derwin James out for the year. They're not going to be a Super Bowl winner. To me, uh, this is a good feeling team just because of what you got going on in the most p- important position in sports. I know you guys, that's a, a nice viewpoint to have from 35,000 feet. But if you're living and dying with your favorite team, you're not feeling too hot right now. You're right. I agree. Justin Herbert changes the, the trajectory of this organization. We talked about it when they moved to L.A., like, who do you build this team around to get people excited? Well, there he is, Justin Herbert, yep. the 22-year-old who's doing it week yep. after week. Uh, but, I mean, that is the big picture. This, the small picture is that this season is, in what's too many seasons as a Chargers fan, do you have regrets about how games end? The fact that they're piling up week after week. And Herbert, as great as he's played, like it's, it's incredible. I think he has one win and four losses, and he, he could easily be close to undefeated right now. But they just, they just don't know how to close these games. Let's give a little bit of credit to yeah. Isaiah Johnson. Uh, because uh, he is a second-year cornerback for the Raiders. He's the one that knocked the ball out of Mike Williams' hands in the end zone. Uh, and then with one second to play, uh, he was involved with knocking away from Parnham, too. So he played a major role in the Raiders, a team that no one is in love with. But you have to respect that they're 5-3 and three halfway through the season, and they're going to be uh, around in the playoff picture to the end. That's what I think. Anyway. I like him. I, like, so I, I saw Derek Carr make a couple amazing plays. We all, you know, the... The, the diving, you know, put his body into peril um, for his team, the way he dove over that one player. I mean, just making a couple money throws downfield. Like, it, I feel like my opinion of Derek Carr has sort of been the same. I've been disappointed with him for a really long time. 
Um, it's going to take a little bit more for me to get mm. out of that headspace entirely. But this year's version of Derek Carr is what Raiders fans have Derek. been saying he's been when I've never never bought into it. I mean, this is a, this is a tough, I am tough quarterback. Derek. I will not even try. Just go on with your sound effects. I am Derek. <laughs> I think it's... Go on with I it. think this I is the best Derek, Derek uh, ever. I think maybe he saw Dan's uh, inspirational words. I think this is the best season he's had. I always thought that his, that his quasi-MVP, where people said he was in the MVP mix, was a lot of smoke and mirrors. You know what, Derek Carr, you're going to get each and every week. He's not. I'm not even saying he's a top eight quarterback to me, so I'm not going crazy, but he's very steady. He's improved some of his uh, weaknesses, and uh, they're, they're a team that's a problem. They, they really are. By the way, though, I do want to say, like, the Chargers make their own bad luck. Their special teams messes up every week. They're the worst special teams in the history of football. Dead last last year in DVOA. Dead last this year. They fumble it and set up three points at the end when their defense actually closed this game out very, very well. Uh, and then Anthony Lynn didn't take a timeout during that last drive. It blew 25 seconds off the clock just because he had a total mind freeze. Mm. And and they didn't say a word about it on the total mind freeze. 25 seconds on the last drive of the game would have given him at least one more play at the end there to try to go. That, win. That's what I mean. Where like if you're gonna ha- if you have a crafty front office and ownership group, you have to take a strong look at this. We all love Anthony Lynn, the guy. But there's, this doesn't happen just due to bad luck. There are decisions that you could diagnose week after week that point back to coaching. Wes, you're not buying the Derek Carr love. I can see that. No, I think it's, it's, another, it's another recency bias. I mean, it's crazy. There's a reason why he was mentioned in the MVP debate because he was the one carrying that offense. This year, it's a Josh Jacobs-centric offense, and Henry Ruggs is, is the wild card. Like, he's the one who provides the spacing. I don't think it's like... Derek Carr's playing out of his mind. Now, I respect the way he's playing. He's been the hardest guy for me to grade because I feel like they kind of coach around him at times. Um, It's not a quarterback-centric. He's not the engine that makes that offense go. That's why he's hard to grade. Um, And I think he was quite a bit better a few years ago. Um, One last thought on Lynn. Miss that scientist heat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was nice. When... Uh, last week, Greg, you had noted he had a kind of like a visceral, guttural reaction on the sideline uh, when the game got away from him on the last play. It happened again mm-hmm. uh, when they finally made the decision. They made the announcement that it was incomplete. He like re- reached up instinctually and grabbed at his face guard, uh, his pandemic face guard, and just like yanked at it. Like mm-hmm. he just lost control of his own bottle. He was just like in like a nightmare that he can't wake up from tough times. Oh, before we move on. I had to see what happened with uh, our good buddies, Matt Money-Smith and Daniel Jeremiah, who call the games for the Chargers. Uh, so, Ricky, can you uh, cue it up to uh, when they announce that it's it's not going to happen, that it's become clear it's an incomplete pass? And now the Raiders are celebrating because they saw it took six or seven different replays to finally come up with that angle. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> I'll tell you, DJ, the uh, the signal went up from John Jenkins, and I didn't want to call it a touchdown. I really didn't. I, I just I saw it, and I was like, I'm tired of doing this. I am tired of calling touchdown, only to have it He's taken off the it. board. No, that's and good. yet again, it will be taken off the board, and it will result in another loss for the Chargers. Oh, money's dying. I text you gotta him make after. like he's a dying. 
We've got to make like a mixtape of like money and DJ and these last second calls that you give <laughs> Ooh, to a Chargers a fan. Idea. Like if you broke up with a Chargers fan, you give them that mixtape. <laughs> He's they're killing him. The Chargers are killing that money, Smith. All right, let's move on. Takes the snap, gives it to Jonathan Taylor off right tackle. He's got a hole across the forty yard line, still churning all the way down to the thirty six. Ball comes out. It's recovered by Chuck Clark along the sideline. Colts forty tripped up by man. Hurdles Philip Rivers twenty. 10-5, touchdown Ravens! Chuck Clark picks up the fumble that was forced by Marcus Peters, and the defense puts the Ravens right back in the game. Jerry Sandusky, WBAL, with the offense scuffling, it was the Ravens' defense that got things going on Sunday. Chuck Clark's 65-yard fumble recovery and touchdown put Baltimore on its way to a 24-10 win. Over the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium. Mark, this wasn't the get-right game we expected from the Ravens exactly, but they got it done. They did, and it was for their offense, I thought it was you know another one of these tale-of-two-halves type contests. They had 55 yards at halftime, 2.2 yards per play, 18 yards on the ground. This is a team that you know bull-rushed the Steelers for 200 down the stretch. Last week, they were not that team. And, you know, we, you, you, you preview these games and you call like a strength on strength. The Colts run defense versus the Ravens. And usually one of those two just don't add up. I mean, by the end of the game, you could point to both sides and saying that they got, they got the work done. Because that 55-yard first half had a lot to do with, I think, a Colts defense that has incredible team speed, um, had exactly a great game plan to diagnose Lamar Jackson. Al-Kadeen Muhammad had a play where he blew up Lamar Jackson for a 13-yard loss. Danico Autry was snuffing out Lamar on a third down right before the half that just prevented Baltimore from getting on track. There were one guy after the next. Uh, I thought DeForest Buckner got in there. I mean, Darius Leonard, is it's a week-after-week story when he's in there. They're a completely different defense. They made life so tough on Baltimore. And, uh, you know, you went into halftime thinking, this offense might just completely be broken. Uh, and because maybe enough teams have shown and put up tape on how to beat Baltimore at this point. The Ravens defense gets a ton of credit for me because you get the Chuck Clark touchdown. You get um, a huge turnover in the second half that led to a Ravens TV touchdown. And this is good coaching. Marcus Peter had an interception that essentially they called it just sort of a dropped ball. Harbaugh went back and challenged it. And essentially they called it, I mean, it was an interception that Peters himself fumbled. Um, The Ravens recovered, but that turned things around and led to a hard-fought Ravens touchdown on the ground uh, by Gus Edwards. And to me, Baltimore found their offense a little bit in the second half. They fought and found their way back into this thing. The Colts offense is a hot mess from what I see. There is no anchoring force. Phillip Rivers um, has his games, but this was not one of them. They really struggle. His longest completion was 21 yards. So as much as the Colts defense um, nearly gave this game to Indy in the first half, I think Baltimore's defense showed up to be the one by the end of the game that kept a really sinking offense alive until they found some life themselves. That Hmm. Peters interception call to me was the play of the game. Yep, That changed everything, and it was a very shaky call. I, I think you ask the average sports fan at a bar how, how that should be called, and he would say incompletion, not interception. Yeah. It was a very shaky call. Give the Ravens credit because they completely shut down the Colts after that. Um, and to me, we can blame Phillip Rivers again, but the, they've got the same problem they've had all year. These rookies that they're counting on, Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, and you can throw uh, Paris Campbell in there as a second-year guy, 
This is supposed to be the big play element in their offense. Taylor and Pittman specifically were brought in to fix the lack of big plays. Taylor's been terrible, absolutely brutal this year. And he, he was bad again today, had a very costly fumble. Pittman's not making big plays. Paris Campbell's injured. T.Y. Hilton's out. You're asking Phillip Rivers to be a big play quarterback when he's got no big play elements on his offense. Mm, right. They had one yard in the third quarter, and it's, it's due to a lack of those guys you mentioned showing up, where you thought by now that would be, it would be the opposite. But they're, they're playing against a Ravens defense that, other than that Chiefs game, has been the best in the league, you know, statistically. And they're pretty they close were great to the, today. They're pretty yeah. close to the best in the league statistically with that, that Chiefs game. They, they are a better Ravens defense overall, I think, this season than a year ago. And Lamar is now 25-5. and five. You know, the Ravens are 25-5 and five in games that Lamar started. And the, the two biggest reasons for that are their run game and their defense. And for the most part, I know they struggled to run the ball today, but they're still you know one of the top two or three rushing teams in the league. For the most part, they have that this year. They I don't know how far they can get by with their passing game doing this little, but they have the run game, they have the defense, and there's still a lot to deal with. Jonathan Taylor did not receive a carry after his first quarter fumble until 6.15 to play in the fourth qu- quarter. He finished with a season-low six carries for 27 yards. Uh, the Colts averaged three and a half yards per carry as a team. And this doesn't feel like it's going to work. They have a good defense, uh, but if they can't really run the football, putting that much on Phillip Rivers' plate in 2020, this seems like a, a experiment that will be doomed to fail unless they figure out something. Well, they need the guy. They need everyone healthy. They need T.Y. Hilton healthy, and then maybe maybe that guy's by always early, hurt now though. Maybe That's by T.Y. early Hilton. December or mid December, they're a different offense. But right now, they don't have the juice. Big TNF uh, this week, Colts, Titans, you know, because you're right. Those two are, to me, are pretty well below the top tier in the um, AFC. You could argue the Titans on that. Um, but that, you know, the Colts find a way to win that game, then, then they're feeling okay. All right, let's move forward. Three seconds left. He's back. Steps up. Throws it for the goal line. And the pass is broken up at the goal line. Minka Fitzpatrick. And that ends the football that is game. the end of the game. The Pittsburgh Steelers are 8-0. And they barely survive a great effort by the Cowboys. Oh, 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 oh. oh man. My goodness, gentlemen. <laughs> what? <laughs> Felt like like light up a cigar there. Wow. <laughs> oh. A relaxed vibe there in the booth. Minka Fitzpatrick put the finishing touch on a strong game by breaking up Ga- Garrett Gilbert's desperation end zone heave. The deflection allowed the Steelers to escape Jarrah World with a 24-19 win. Mark, when we previewed this game, we talked about the possibility of a Steelers blowout of biblical proportions. What happened? Well, I mean, I think, you know, when a bunch of talking heads get together and make predictions, they often go wayward. This went completely wrong. I think that, you know, A, Garrett Gilbert's a little bit better than people planned for. Um, and, you know, this was this was Pittsburgh's defense all year long. They had been getting to the quarterback and causing total havoc. That didn't happen in the first half here. And Pittsburgh's offense just looked completely out of sync. Uh, you know, maybe Mike Nolan, um, I don't think it's ideal that you say my offense or my defense will start to look like what it's supposed to be in weeks eight and nine. But two weeks in a row, they've looked pretty solid. A guy like Leighton Vander Esch to me, um, I'm seeing some speed. I'm seeing a little bit, of, a little hint of the old Leighton Vander Esch of old. Um, Neville Gallimore, their third round pick, um, had a huge game today. And Big Ben, you know, he, he looked to me at 
seriously injured when he hit when he had that knee hit in the first half and um he rallied. I mean, this is sort of a big the, the experience of Big Ben. He has these injuries, and then he has sort of the flashy hobbling around and makes the heroic throw. And he had a touchdown drive right before the half that probably saved the Steelers team. Came back in in the second half. Didn't look totally impacted by it, but it you know it's it just sort of lessens what Big Ben can do. I think in general. I would point to Jalen Smith, though. There, this is someone who's not going to enjoy watching film this week. Cowboys linebacker Jalen Smith. Hmm. Dallas was up 19-15 to 15 in the fourth quarter. Um, Alden Smith had a fumble recovery of Big Ben and was racing down the sideline. This probably could have given Dallas a legit chance to win. Jalen Smith was nailed with illegal contact, wiped that out, and the Steelers go on to a field goal drive that gives them a 19-18 lead. Uh, they then... With, nine, with four minutes left, Jalen Smith is hit with a killer roughing the passer call on third and ten that would have ended a Steelers drive. The Steelers little, go little on. Little ticky-tacky. Little ticky-tacky, I thought. I, I thought it was ticky-tacky, but, I mean, it's still, you know, if I'm going to go by what Romo says, they both he, they basically said you cannot do what he just did. And yeah. so a lot of these calls feel ticky-tacky to me. This is not 1976. They don't allow them to exact punishment like they did in the past. But that was a killer Flag that led to the Deontay Johnson or the Clay. Let's see, the Eric Ebron touchdown. Went, you know, minutes later, Deontay Johnson had that 42 yard catch and run, which was really the first big play that Pittsburgh had. And then they just hung on. I mean, this was not the Pittsburgh performance that you'd want. What I think they did effectively, though, was that when Garrett Gilbert had a chance to really give the the Cowboys a game-winning drive, they went five-man rush, they got in his face, they made life tough, and they destroyed him on fourth down. And he had one chance at the end, you know, to to do it. And um, I think Gilbert showed them a lot. He looked better to me than Andy Dalton did in that one game. And Gilbert, you know, do not forget, was the... Uh, rather fascinating Orlando Apollo's AAF um, passer of the year. And also that team went on to win the championship mm. in that league. So Gilbert is someone that I think coaches around the league um, know about. Steve Spurrier said that the only difference between him and Nick Foles is that Nick Foles makes $20 million <laughs> wow. a year. And Gil- so Garrett why Gilbert they start Danucci? I mean, is it fair to get on them for starting you know, Danucci? You know what it was? Gilbert? I don't, Gilbert was signed off a practice squad. Yeah, I don't think that he had team. a full grasp of the offense. And they said that Garrett Gilbert, though, Basically stepped in and learned the offense quicker than Cooper or the, than Cooper Rush. So you know, w- look at he, he came fair. in and he looked good. L- looked good for what you'd think a fourth string quarterback would do. So yeah, I don't I, know what it means for Dallas, but this was an odd game. Pittsburgh, I think, just had that one week where they were not themselves. Yeah, I don't think Garrett Gilbert looks so good that you would kill the Cowboys for starting someone else. Yeah, um, no, he was definitely an upgrade, but I thought he had a lot of very narrow escapes out of the pocket that could have gone the other way. And credit to him for getting out of the pocket and making escapes Houdini-like. But th- he could have easily had a series of turnovers instead of getting out of the pocket. Um, any seasoned watcher of the Steelers knows that under Tomlin, they have these games once or twice a year where it's a team they should win by three touchdowns and they go in. And they usually lose that <laughs> game. Today they were lucky they were playing against the four-string quarterback um, mm. and a bad defense. But I thought... To me, what was interesting, you know, outside of T.J. Watt and Cameron Hayward taking over yet another game, um, just dominating down the stretch, to hear Romo talk about you can't keep giving the Steelers' offense more chances because look at their wide receivers. You can't keep Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Ebron under control play after play. Sooner or later, one or all of those guys is going to bust, bust loose. And to me, when you look at this Steelers' offense this year compared to previous years, 
they have a loaded wide receiver core. Right. I, they can't yeah. run the ball well, though. They I they guess, really struggle on the ground. I guess when you're two and six, uh, you're going to be aggressive. Mike McCarthy allowing Gilbert to throw the ball on third and goal at the Pittsburgh five with 12 minutes to play in the fourth quarter ends with a catastrophic interception. Uh, if you play a little more conservative there, you kick a field goal. I believe you're up eight points in that situation. Instead, that was the beginning of the end for the Cowboys. I, I want to say one thing on the other side with Big Ben, because I know it's not a popular sentiment on this podcast or really anywhere, uh, but I think Big Ben is a, a, a tough guy. And I, I thought it was interesting. He's an old man at this point. You say he, he is got, or is not? He's not a tough guy? He is a tough guy. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with I I so you. He just plays well. And I, I, get, I get the... Uh, the the fun kind of element of it that he plays up injuries and I think that's there's an element of truth to that uh, but at this point in his career he takes a hit on his knee where he could you could tell he's in a lot of discomfort not only does he stay in the game he takes them all the way in for a touchdown where they only pass the ball on the drive and limps into the locker room and then comes out and th- throws two more touchdowns that's why he's going to the Hall of Fame uh, I just I've I've really enjoyed watching him his whole career as a quarterback put everything else on the side and that was today was just another example of that for me i think it's like a classic big ben game yeah i think that's why he's interesting because you don't see that combination of a guy who is actually tough yet plays up injuries (laughs) as if he's got a hangnail (laughs) and it's gonna kill him um it's a weird combination and he's had it his whole career and and this team's tough it's a fine line between you know you thinking they're lucky um and they're you know one of the lesser eight and oh teams that that we've seen um, and the flip side, which is, wow, they've proven they can win games in the last you know, 15, 20 minutes of each game. If that's a learned trait, they have it. They've done it basically seven out of eight weeks where that game was in doubt in the fourth quarter and they close and they do it time after time. And I think there's something to that. You're putting a little, you're putting a little deposits into the Mojo Bank. You're gonna, Ooh, you can well cash, out, cash out in the playoffs. Mojo Let's- Bank. That is very well done, Greg. Let's move to the Music City. Foles tries to screen it. Montgomery on the right side. Big Jeff is there. The ball comes loose. The Kites pick it up. 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, in zone. Touchdown, Kite King took it to the house. Mike Keith with the call. WGFX. Welcome to Nashville, Desmond King. The slot corner making his Titans debut after a trade deadline move from the Chargers. Scooped up a loose ball, took it to the house. 63 yards, knockout blow for the Titans and a 24-17 win over the free-falling Bears who have lost three in a row. Greg, Tennessee's beleaguered defense found the right get-right opponent. They did. And um, they should get credit. You know, they didn't have Clowney on the field. They, they did a great job. But How do you win without him? <laughs> when, when, it's, when it's weakness on weakness and one, and one weakness dominates, I tend to just put more on the weakness, on the bigger weakness. That's the Bears. And so to me, it's more about the Bears' offense than it is about the Titans' defense. Let, let's count the ways the Bears' offense was embarrassing in this game. The Titans... We're kicking their um, kickoffs short to the up man and letting the Bears start at the 30-yard line because they were so confident the only way the Bears could score a touchdown would be Corderell Patterson. So, okay, Ouch. you just start at the 30. Um, there was what I like to call a six and out, where you go three and out, and then you do a fake punt, and then you go 
three and out again. So that's <laughs> oh. like a bear. And I've seen that a few times over the years. Like this is that was a they had a six and out. So I love it. What they got to that six and out because Barkevius Mingo ran the ball for eleven yards on the fake punt. He was their leading rusher. The Bears Kiki. through through eight drives of the game. The Titans went <laughs> into this door, game. Sessler. I got a couple more. The Titans got <laughs> went into this game as the worst third down defense in NFL history. Just about uh, the Bears were two for fifteen on huh. third downs. And mm. finally, here's what to me summarizes the Bears' offense. There's so many plays in this game where it was third and long, and they tried to do give-up plays, like where they would throw the ball four yards on third and 15, or they throw a screen on third well, and 13. they specialize at that. But they couldn't complete those. Those guys were covered. Like, they, you know, they, they, like the Titans knew they were going to throw the ball three yards on third and 15, and so they couldn't even complete those. And the, <laughs> the touchdown that King had was on one of those plays, which was a screen that they were all over, and they ended up, you know, forcing a fumble and returning it. So it was just, it was one of the toughest. I know they put some points in garbage time, but it's one of the toughest uh, offensive games I've ever seen. I mean, PFF said, basically graded it as the worst uh, Bears first half since 2006. And so I had people telling me, hey, look at Foles' box score. It's the same as Justin Herbert's. No, it's not. No, it's not. Don't tell me things like that. Don't tell me that when I have to watch this offense week after week that is reducing my joy of football. Um, And if you're a defensive coordinator studying for how to stop the Bears, are you done by, like, Monday night? Have you figured it out by Monday night? I can't believe Bears fans did that to you and came in your mentions like that. I would imagine most of them would be disgusted. Well, I I labeled them that they had quickly moved right back into the painfully annoying zone, which they specialize in every week. And it's like there is no growth, no development with A, the players here, or the scheme. It's Mm. it's all devolving. And so, I mean— if they stick around with this, they stick to this coaching staff after this season. If I'm a Bears fan, you get a little bit close to that Chris Wessling zone of I might have to ignore this team until they show me that they actually are mm. striving for competence. I like I like the idea of ignoring this team. I would just like to point out, aren't there like two different levels of incompetence going on with this Bears offense? You have the normal incompetence, which is every week. And then you have today where they were without, what, four starting offensive linemen? Yes. You have to at least point that out. Yeah, yep. that that's absolutely fair. But you, you can also point out, like, the Titans had 12 transactions on Saturday. 12 transactions related to COVID-19 and injuries and practice squad. They're missing their left tackle. Roger Saffold uh, got hurt uh, their shoulder today. Their first-round pick, Isaiah Wilson, comes in there. He was struggling. They didn't do well. They had seven three and outs and eleven drives. They actually were outgained in this game by 150 yards. Um, they the Bears defense played awesome, about as well as they've. I think you know they've played great all year, and this was you know another great performance where I think that the Titans had three points in their first six drives. There were there were more punts in the first half of this game than any NFL game all season. So the Bears defense did their job, but. Uh, Derrick Henry, like on a third and two, drags the pile, and they end up scoring a touchdown on a perfect throw and a perfect catch that like no defense could stop to A.J. Brown, and that's what good teams do. The Titans, they, they found a way. But uh, Vrabel called it a crossroads game, and it they, they are all sorts of banged up um, on both sides of the ball and co- got COVID issues that they this Thursday night game is going to be tough for them. I mean, teams right now, it's like I feel like we need someone – on the podcast, it's like Stat Boy that just comes in to give context at the end of it, each game and lists the 
innumerable COVID and injury issues on each team because it's just like such a huge part of every week. Who's going to fill that role? Fun gig. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Uh, By the way, the fastest go route Allen Robinson will ever run is the one out of Chicago in free agency. Oh. Let's move on. (laughs) Also, to play devil's advocate with myself, Joe Burrow was missing three offensive linemen and had the best game of his career against that Titans defense. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Well done. Well done. Moving on. This would be an NFL record field goal to win the game. This will be a 67-yard attempt. Chiefs have to be careful to hold the water. Slide. Big leg. The kick is up, and it is way right. It's no good. What is good? Kansas City gets the victory to go 8-1 and one at the bye week on a hard-fought victory. Mitch Holt is with a call, WDAF. You know, one of these days, Joey Sly is going to reward that rules faith with one of these 70 yarders. <laughs> but uh, it, w- it wouldn't be Sunday as Sly missed, as you heard, wide right. Panthers fall 33-31 to to the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Mark, Carolina did just about everything right in this game, but they still couldn't find a way to close out the champs. Oh, this, this was a... I, I am really proud of the Panthers. I don't feel that way about football teams that often. They came in and fought so hard. And the Chiefs, by the game's end, did everything that you'd expect the Chiefs to do. We can get into that. But Kansas City rolled into this prepared for a fist fight. I give them credit for being, or the, the Panthers rolled into that. And they were just so aggressive. Um, their opening drive, 15 plays, 75 yards. They wiped out nine minutes of the opening quarter. And that included a drive where they went forward on fourth and three um, to allow them to move on and get a touchdown to Christian McCaffrey. His first game back, he looked pretty good. They're not using Justin, though. They still have a little bit of Mike Davis going on here. On the next drive, though, okay, they, refu- they I just thought that they put, the pe- they put their foot on the pedal and did not let up. They got into a fourth down situation. You're seconds into the second quarter. They roll up a fake punt. Joseph Charlton, the punter, hits Brandon Zilstra for 27 yards. And it leads to a touchdown drive by Curtis Samuel, a pass to Curtis Samuel. There is later in the game, Teddy Bridgewater, what I think is one of the plays of the season, a dangerous scramble into peril, 15 yards on third and 14. And it says everything about what Matt Rule and Teddy Bridgewater want to do together. And the faith that Matt Rule mentioned in Teddy Bridgewater in the offseason when we talked with him they come out they come out of that and with 10 minutes to go in the game they dial up a fake punt because in some of these teams that get overly cautious and just going to hand the ball back to Kansas City it didn't work it didn't go their way but you cannot kill them for it they just absolutely went for every chance they could to get an edge at one point they were down uh, 33-31 at the end and they fought their way back I don't know just they, they never they have an element to them under Matt Rule, where they've refused to give up. That said, you're still dealing with Patrick Mahomes, who threw four touchdowns. He has nine touchdowns and two. You know, over the last couple of weeks, he looked absolutely beautiful today. Um, it's just bend but don't break against the Chiefs, and then suddenly you break. They're too powerful on offense. And this, you know, the Panthers do a few good things on defense, but. The idea of containing Patrick Mahomes the whole time, impossible. But the offense fought and fought. And this is a fun Carolina offense to watch. Their parts work right now. Teddy has had good weeks. He's had bad weeks. He's had throws he can't make. He's had throws that maybe you'd be surprised he can make. But to me, the most impressive thing about his season is if you've watched every game, 
you'd never know he had a career-threatening injury. He has not mm-hmm. changed the way he's played. He has, like you said today, Mark, sacrificing his body like at the first down sticks, diving, what, five, six yards in the air going forward to get that first down. He has thrown caution to the wind um, in a good way, like not to the point where he's going to get himself injured, but he knows when to slide, when to go down, when to go for the extra yards, and you just never know that he had a major knee mm. injury. Yeah, his courage in the pocket, his his pocket presence, I think, is his, his best trait. But that's it's also why, and it's not like I focused on this game, but w- these great effort Panthers games, you want to finish one, and they had their chance. Right. They had their chance to win an arrowhead. They had the ball, and they only needed a field goal. They had 50 seconds. It's not all the time, uh, or more than that, it, with no timeouts. not all the time in the world. But, he, you know, they threw two checkdowns in the middle of the field, um, you know, to start the drive, and it was almost over right there. And those those are mental errors, and there's something he'll learn from. But you know, they, they a better like a, a Brady or a Breeze, they're throwing those balls out of bounds because they know those two yards, you know, throws over the middle ultimately kill you. And they kind of ran out of time there because I, I really was excited to hopefully see a Joey Sly winner. But you're not going to hit it from 69. Thought he had the distance though, Dan, but he missed it by about yeah. This yards. time he might have <laughs> actually been yeah cleared the crossbar, but it wasn't dead on this time. Yeah, Mahomes is just such a uh, a treasure. To watch, he's now thirty-two and eight in his career as a starter. He's got the MVP award. He's got the Super Bowl MVP. He is up to twenty-five touchdowns this year with one interception, and his numbers, Wes. I, I mean, give me an update where he is on your quarterback rankings. Although I, I, I suspect I know where he is. He's at sixty-seven percent completion percentage, passer rating of one sixteen, and he's at career high marks in completion percentage, touchdown interception. Touchdown to interception ratio and passer rating. Uh, is this the best you've seen him look? No. No, I think um, his, his first year as a starter when he was the clear-cut MVP, I think that's the best I've seen him look. Um, he's been number three most of the season in, in the QB index. I think Aaron Rodgers has had a better season. I'll have to look because he might pass Russell Wilson, who's had three turnovers in, what, two of the last three weeks? Mm-hmm. But Aaron Rodgers, to me, goes to number one on the list. All right. Let's uh, keep moving. 13-yard touchdown run, and the Jags are a two-point conversion away from a tie with a minute 30 to go. Here they go for the tie. And here's the snap for the deuce. A throw right side, and incomplete. Too low for Chark, and the Texans lead by two with a minute 30 to go. Mark Vandermeer with the call K-I-L-T. So close. Jake Luton. Luton? Luton. Luton. So close. The Jaguars rookie nearly pulled off the comeback in his starting debut, but that two-point conversion attempt to G.J. Shark, no good. Texans hold on 27-25. Greg, Houston has shown an ability to keep any team in a game this year. <laughs> Add the Jags to that list. Yeah, they've shown an ability to beat the Jags. They're 2-0 and against them and nobody else. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, you know, this game, I think, can be best described uh, by explaining the exploits of Josh Lambeau. Didn't think I was going there. But it's no. a, it was a Lambeau type of game. Early missed extra point. 
Oh. Ends up uh, mattering a little bit when you have to go for two at the very end with Jake Luton, who spent about 25 seconds celebrating his touchdown on what should have been a legacy drive. And then, like, you know, I don't blame him. He's a seventh-round rookie who played, you know, pretty well. Uh, and then realized we got to go for two and totally short-armed. If, if there is such a thing as, like, getting nervous and your shoulder feeling a little heavy, uh, he threw it in the dirt nowhere near uh, his receiver on the two-point conversion. But that, that wasn't all of Lambeau his contribution. He had a 59-yarder in this game. How about that, Josh Lambeau? Not bad. And he went out of his way to get in the middle of two other guys who were fighting, which I've never seen uh, a kicker do. Like, two guys kind of join, and then Lambeau comes in there instigating. And if you look at him, it's not too shocking because Lambeau, and a lot of these kickers are jacked these days, but Lambeau's like another level of kicker Jack. So, you know, he's like the Jaguars. A lot of fight, a lot of spirit, and they lost in the end. Late Thursday, very late Thursday, I uh, was watching election coverage and decided uh, it was time to put up my long-awaited kicker power rankings. And maybe maybe Josh Lambeau didn't see himself on that list and said, you know what, I need to start kind of putting myself out there. Missing a PAT is not going to do it, but I like was Where was Jason Sanders? Jason Sanders list. was snubbed because uh, Young Way Koo is so good at onside kicks, but I immediately regretted that when I was watching the well, game Well, also, today. like, entries, like, two through five were um, a <laughs> split-up sentence, sentence explaining that no one's going to uh, <laughs> knock out the Ravens kicker from number one. Well, it's Not Justin to get Tucker topic, one. Sanders then, has hit 20 straight now, including, I know. like, a couple bombs today under pressure. All right, he's number eight now. Okay. <laughs> right. Are you happy? But number two through five is kept uh, empty out of respect for Justin Tucker. I think that's only fair. I would have before today. I would have had Chris Boswell higher on the list, who only mm. had one bad year really in his career, and has been a tier one kicker outside of that uh, one bad year. He had a rough day today, and that may have been his his line's fault because I think it was Tyrone Crawford who was coming through the line every single time on the kicks. Mm. I mean, I can hear Texans fans out there being like, we never win a game. Can, you know, you guys are just talking about, hey, how, this is what happens when two one and six teams uh, go against each other. J- the difference to me was Jason Watson ran the ball today in key situations and scrambles. He had more rushing yards than any game he's had since the week 17 of 2018. And I've been waiting for that. He's so athletic, and like he just doesn't take take off. And sometimes he needs to. And he did it a lot of a lot of times on third down. He he was very sharp overall. Uh, and Jake Luton uh, had great numbers, made some good plays. Was lucky that he only had one fumble and one interception. It could have been more. And was playing a team that lost their two best, two of their three best pass rushers to COVID, and their best cornerback Bradley Roby. So it's not a good Texans defense, and they they definitely had some mishaps today. But he for a for a rookie quarterback, he looked you know quite good. He had a nice day. Let's check in on two more losing teams. First and ten from the thirty, handoff. Dalvin shakes, attacks one the twenty-five, and the race is on, and he's loose. Touchdown! <laughs> 70-yard touchdown this time by the best in the business, baby, Dalvin Cook. Ooh, oh, spicy. Paul Allen brings the spice. I think Paul Allen's the best in the business, K-F-A-N. Dalvin Cook, yes, superstar. Vikings running back. I'm going to, I'm not, listen, come after me if you want. I think he put himself on the MVP radar on Sunday with his second Preach. consecutive 200-yard game from scrimmage which included the game icing 70-yard touchdown sprint and a 34-24 win over the Lions at U.S. Bank Stadium. You know, Dalvin Cook, 
He's scored a touchdown in every game he's played. He has four games this year. Four. We're halfway through the season uh, where he scored at least two touchdowns in the game. He is uh, one of those guys, one of those very – and it's actually a great conversation. And obviously you know what Paul Allen feels about this. Uh, we talk about who's the best running back in football. CMC, obviously, he needs to be in the conversation. Alvin Kamara needs to be in the conversation. And obviously, I think Dalvin Cook needs to be in the conversation. I think that's the big three. If, if, you, if I'm missing throw somebody. Derek Henry in, maybe. Okay, if you want to put Henry in there, too, I would have him just below, but I get that for sure. Reigning rushing champion, and he is a monster. But anyway, uh, yeah, he, he, you know, for the Vikings to get back into the playoff picture, and I was talking about it on Thursday that I harbored some type of hope, however psychotic it is that the, the Vikings are actually going to get back in the playoff picture in the NFC. Cook's going to have to be this type of special guy like Adrian Peterson was in 2012. By the way, the last running back to win MVP in the NFL. Uh, he was with the Vikings, of course, in that 2,000-yard season. He's going to need to go bonkers the rest of the way. And what's happening here, Wes, and I know uh, Kirk Cousins is always a subject of fascination, but maybe not as much in the past uh, th- this season because he's just his play has come down and he's just seemed like just another guy. But this is kind of what happens when your running back is playing this well and you get things calmed down and Cousins can just operate in his own little realm and do his little play action game and you don't put too much on his plate. All of a sudden, those 280 yard, three touchdown, no turnover games start to pop up again with him. And that's what he's been. He's been kind of back to good Kirk Cousins the last two weeks. Yeah, because, it, because of Dalvin Cook. I mean, Right, that it's so much easier to play the position when you have the most explosive skill position player in football, and that's what Dalvin Cook has been. The way he ran last week, 166 yards after contact, according to Pro Football Focus, that was the best I've seen any running back look all year by quite a bit. Hmm. You can say Alvin Kamara is better in the passing game. Sure, you don't want you if you could pick any running back to be one on one with a linebacker or safety, you're taking Alvin Kamara. But the way Dalvin Cook ran the ball, so much more explosive than any running back I've seen. And today was more of the same. He is shot out of a cannon. Um, it's not every year you see a running back with the synchronicity uh, with his offensive line and his own physical talent coming to the forefront for a long stretch like we saw with Derrick Henry late last year. We saw with Le'Veon Bell a couple of times with the Steelers. We saw, I think, for probably a couple of months early last year, Christian McCaffrey. Um, But it's not every year you see this, and it's fun to watch Dalvin Cook, who looks phenomenal. When he gets the ball right now, it's like they're big on the the toss. They pitch it to him. And it's like as soon as he gets the ball, it's like he's going downhill. Yes. And he never gets taken down by first contact. He had over nine yards of carry. Oh, West today. He went over 200 yards rushing on just 22 carries. I mean, he wow. every time he touched the ball, it was a chunk play. And the Lions are just such a mess. There's just no progress with this team. And you try to start to get a little excited around them um, when they had that mini winning streak. And you saw their schedule and you said, OK, OK, there's a chance here. But they're right back to square one. And Matthew Stafford. Um, obviously, he's having a really tough season for a lot of reasons. And he has, speaking of COVID-19, it touches all these games. He didn't practice this week because he was in the protocol, even though he wasn't uh, he wasn't infected with COVID. But he was in the protocol because of close contact. But he comes out 
and he's up and down with the rest of the team before leaving with concussion uh, for a concussion test. I don't know if he actually got diagnosed or not, but but Chase Daniel finished this game. I mean, just a a, a really Mm. bummer of a game for the Lions and the Vikings. Uh, They're hanging on the periphery with a schedule that is not too bad. Looks pretty good. The Bears are the only team with a winning record in their next four. And that's next week, and that's the Bears. So yeah. they they at least have a chance to win, you know, three of those four get to five hundred in the NFC. That you know that might be still uphill uh, sliding, but I, I wouldn't put it past them. I wouldn't put it past them getting right back in the mix, and then Kirk Cousins having like a bad week sixteen, and then they aren't going to make the <laughs> right. But to your point about Cousins, like the environment that he's in. The three games they've won, I think he threw the ball fourteen times, twenty today, and maybe twenty one the other. You know, you don't have to trust Kirk Cousins if you can do this. That's and what Mike Zimmer good. wants, right? Exactly. And Kubiak. it reminds me a little bit of what they do to Baker Mayfield and Cleveland when they're playing well, which is don't yeah. have this guy throw the ball 40 times, same offense. Same with Kirk Cousins. Paying him a lot of money. You, 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 all the money should be going into the bank account of Dalvin Cook right now. All right. Wes, any final thoughts before we hand off to mm. Nick Shook? That was uh, that was the best hour I've had in weeks. Um, oh. I enjoyed talking ball with you guys. It made me forget about a lot of things and just get caught up in, in reality. And uh, it was a fun hour. Thank you guys for the escapism. Oh, Same, that's awesome. Wes. We love you, bud. It's always better and Chris Wessling's around. All right, Wes, uh, have a good rest of your Sunday. And now we welcome in Nick Shook. Shook looking big. Somehow you look even bigger. I don't know what's going on with the bod, but it's completely out of control, and that's a compliment. I appreciate that. You know, just the weekly work, Dan. You know, it's the grind. It never stops. And all those other gymisms that I can just feed you, even though I don't subscribe to most of them. Put out a book already. Let's let's get that thing going. All right, let's move on. Shook uh, helped us out with two games. Uh, let's start uh, with one in A-Town. Is that a thing? Here's Ryan, going to put it up for grabs. Jones is wide open for the Atlanta touchdown. (laughs) West Durham with the call, WZGC. Good call. Matt Ryan and Julio Jones are in in a vintage groove of late. The veteran QB threw for 284 yards and three touchdowns, including that 21-yard strike to Jones. The Falcons roll to a 34-27 win over the Broncos, who can't get out of neutral. Shook. The Falcons have played pretty well since the Youngery 2.0 era took hold. Yeah, you know, I don't want to say necessarily that firing Dan Quinn was the answer, but it definitely, I think, woke the Falcons up. But really what really happened was they got a lot of key guys back on defense, and they've played well in the last few weeks. I know um, we've talked about it on the podcast before. I know Greg's tweeted me about it. Uh, they look like a different team because of the reinforcements they got, like Keanu Neal and, and the uh, you know continued improvement of some of their linebacking core. Uh, Foya Olukun, Olukun, something like that. I always struggle with his name. He's a really exciting oh, player to watch, and and for the most part, um, that's all they really needed. I mean. When they played earlier in the season, their offense did enough. They just couldn't do enough defensively to kind of even things out. And and today, you know, they got stops early. They 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 stifled Drew Locke and the entire Broncos offense. And they used that to score a bunch of points and build themselves a lead and, and managed to hang on. And I think if you in any football game, if you, you take that kind of approach, you're, you're more than likely going to win. Uh, they almost falconed it away, but not this week, not in Atlanta. Well, but you know what? The Falcons are falconing. This is what the Falcons do. They start out slow, 
Uh, they totally bury themselves. And then they go on a run that like makes Arthur Blank think they've turned the corner. That They do it every year. Literally, their defense, it's always the same script too. It's the defense especially starts poorly and then comes on. Now they've started this little run a little earlier. If it wasn't for that uh, ridiculous Todd Gurley, you know, uh, touchdown that he scored by mistake, they'd be 4-0. And three of those four wins would be fairly convincing, which is hard to do in the NFL. I don't care who you're playing. They're, they're a pretty good team that at least for the national games, they'll be on the rest of the way, and they, they do have a few. It's like, I, I'll watch this team. That's that's the, like, low bar I want a team to clear. They're going to clear that. To your point, the Falcons are 3-13. and 13. If you combine the first eight games of the last two seasons, 3-13. and 13. And they're seven and two in the back nine of right. these two seasons. So, I mean, I don't know how it, I think that's the point you're making, Greg. I don't know how this really helps the organization because you're not getting a high end draft pick if you keep this up, but you're also instilling some sense of hope and you make the games uh, on, on a base level. And Mark, you and I have struggled. And of course, Nick as well have struggled with this with years. You would, you would sign off if your team was just fun to watch. And sometimes you win, sometimes you lose instead of just getting your ass kicked year after year. So the Falcons make things interesting to watch, but they're not actually, you know, moving in a, a positive direction. It seems. You know, it's kind of funny because a few weeks ago we were talking about trade everybody, trade Matt Ryan, trade Julio Jones. Well, you can't trade Matt Ryan because it's financially prohibitive, but people talked about it. And <laughs> and now now that they've actually kind of we'll figured it. out who they are a little bit, um, that's like the last thing on anybody's mind, and rightfully so. And today uh, he made the most of not having a fully healthy receiving core, you know, missing Calvin Ridley, but he was spraying the ball around to all kinds of different guys. Uh, Olamide Zacchaeus, um, Russell Gage, among the the group of guys who got involved. He had a touchdown pass to Julio Jones, who ran a beautiful post corner that left the safety looking for his jock strap. If those are still a thing, uh, I mean, it was it was just a good day offensively for them. And and, and I do give credit to the Broncos, you know, because we do have to talk about the Broncos at some point in this game because they had a really strong fourth quarter, but they slept walk through the first three quarters, and the Falcons took full advantage. And I think that's what a winning football team does. It's just it's kind of a bummer that they dug themselves such a hole, and especially with the losses that they suffered early in the year, you know, the loss to Chicago, the loss to Dallas. Those are games like Greg said they should. Of one, I mean, right now they'd be looking at what five and four. Should have lost definitely. last week though. Yeah, and it's like you had a chance to build off that miracle win last week, and then you go and you lay an egg against the Falcons. Yeah, but you know what? Two weeks ago, I don't know if they should have lost that game if Todd Gurley figures out how to stop his momentum like a superhuman or something instead of falling forward into the end zone. So I mean, it, it all kind of evens out, but it's frustrating with this team because like if you try <laughs> to plan down the line with this team, it's where are they? Where are they going to go? Are they going to be this team? Are they going to be that first half of the team again next year? I think Mark had tried to get in a few times, but he was muted, and it was it was sad. It was sad to watch. <laughs> Is that what home. happened to me? Yeah, yeah I, was I was waiting for you to talk. <laughs> <laughs> what an absurdity! Well, I was just going to ask if this if this like special road leads to Raheem Morris getting hired. <laughs> That would not be. I, that would be an improbable. Uh, is that what you said the first time on mute, or yes, was it something yes, that was yes. going to change? It was like the world? Different. I am dealing with a. I am dealing with a hideous cough, and so I have to keep muting um, the button to cough so I can survive this show. And then you know, improbably or not, probably, I guess <laughs> I've not unmuted on on the other end of these. And then sometimes I thought I was muted, and then I coughed, and everyone heard it. So. It's a second drama on top of what we're dealing with to begin with here. It would be an Arthur Blank thing, though, because he, he, that's how Dan Quinn kept saving his job with these strong finishes. Uh, but I don't know. May, I, would I mean, it's a long wanna... way to go. If he goes nine and two, you got to keep him. I think so. I'm, yeah, but I Greg, mean it. 
When was the last time that an interim head coach got the job full time and actually worked? I'm with you, Nick. See, I think you can fall for that, and then like it, I, they they have to go. But a he's super either a good coach or he's not. Search. He's been in the building for a long time. When he took over the coordinator role last year, they immediately improved. If he goes nine and two, and you've known the guy for four or five years, look, they they should know already whether they really think he's um, a, a strong candidate or not. But I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out. It doesn't mean it's a continuation of Quinn. I would just do a wide search because that. You know, Nick and I know what happens when you when you fall for someone like Freddie Kitchens. Oh, this is not Freddie Kitchens, but it's like you fall for that late season, right. uh, you know, bump, and then suddenly you're into a real. You know, you gave up on someone who could have changed the team. We He's also got a got long a, way to go. We got a pretty good look at Raheem Morris in Tampa not too long ago, also. But whatever. Hey, um, Todd Gurley is on pace for the funniest 17 touchdown season <laughs> in the history of the NFL. Wow. <laughs> 17 touchdowns. All right, let's move on. Smith out of the gun, back to throw. Has time, pumps over the middle, intercepted! Picked off by Logan Ryan, and he slides down to seal the deal. Interception sealed the deal for the Giants, who nearly blew a big lead, but managed to hold on for a 23-20 win over the Washington football team. Shook, this was uh, another game that featured... An ugly lower leg injury for a Washington starting quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's not something that just like is is ingrained in the franchise at this point. That would be three uh, in their history and and two within the last few years. But the guy who suffered one and managed to come back miraculously was actually pretty effective in this game and was in he position. threw that interception. But yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing: before he threw the interception, uh, he was in position to lead them on a potential game winning drive, and then threw the interception, and then oh through one more interception just to really uh, seal things. But I, I mean, he's like trying to, how can I somehow lose comeback player of the year? Yeah. The greatest comeback player of the year story of all oh time. My gosh. You know what? Here's the thing with the whole comeback player of the year award. I am too worried. Every time Alex Smith drops back to pass for me to consider him for an award when I'm worried that he's going to survive the game just because of how bad his leg injury. I mean, that is an incredible thing to overcome, which I guess is inspiration for the award. But at the same time, I just want to see him make it through a game before we think about, you know, comeback player of the year awards. Oh, and he also like probably needs to lead him to victory a couple of times. I think in order what to happened? do that. Right? I don't mm. think he needs to win games to win. But anyway, what happened to Kyle Allen exactly? He suffered, what, what was it, a broken ankle? It was pretty gruesome. He was oh. carted off the field afterward. Um, and, and, yeah, that's – so Well, the they did mention it now, wasn't – it wasn't quite as serious as it looked um, that there, you know, I don't know what the full diagnosis is, but it wasn't as grisly in terms of the actual injury. So the question is, is does Ron Rivera now, you know, kind of like wave the white flag and activate Dwayne Haskins? I mean, cause he hasn't been a factor since he benched him. It was the Kyle Allen and Alex Smith show. Uh, does, do we turn back to the rookie as your, backup? I think they announced it. Your players, your backup. I think they said, so they're going to go with Alex Smith. Why not? And, um, oh, they're think, going with Alex Smith. Yeah, I think they they Man, decided. Dwayne Haskins is in the doghouse. Yeah, they, they decided they give he gives them the better chance. That's why he was the backup. I, I suppose you you watch this game. I mean, they they averaged eight yards per play to the Giants four point seven. They lost the turnover battle five to nothing, uh, which is it, you would not expect it to only be a three point game. So they moved the ball, I guess. Would, yeah. That's- do you, you think the Alex Smith uh, story has a little uh, little run here? Yeah, I think it's got some legs, especially with a team that doesn't really have much else to play for or is still mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to play under a new head coach. And 
And if he believes that Alex Smith is the guy, then let him run for as long as possible. I mean, Mm -hmm. if he's going to get ample opportunities, at least he'll have a chance to prove it. Um, uh, He was adequate or a little bit better than that at times today. But again, their offense runs into the same issues, whether it's turnovers, the two at the end, kind of inflates that total or just not being able to convert on third down. I think what was their third down conversion rate? It was uh, three of eight. So not exactly what you're looking for in a team that's trying to win a game. And that's how, uh, you know, on the other side, the Giants, you know, force five turnovers and only win by three because their offense isn't exactly the best either. Although Daniel Jones was a lot better this week than he was a week ago. And the frustrating thing with Daniel Jones, I'm sure you guys have plenty of opinions on this as well, is he'll drop a dime in the bucket to score a potential game-tying touchdown and then blow the two-point conversion pass because he double clutches and hesitates because he's thrown so many interceptions that it's probably in the back of his mind. He's that kind of guy. You can't rely on him. And, and even though he's 23 or 34 today for 212 yards and a touchdown, it's still like, what is your ceiling with this guy? He fumbled it's, twice. He fumbled twice. I, I hear them honking about, well, he didn't turn the ball over. To, I, you don't get any credit I, the, that people didn't pick up your fumbles. I never understood that. Like you mm-hmm. either are a fum, you either fumble or you're not. And like fumbling's just as bad as an interception. And he fumbled twice. I mean, yeah, they closed the game with like, out for that guy, Rosenthal. No, 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 just I mean, I like Daniel Jones. I <laughs> you do not like Daniel Jones. You want Connect Daniel the Jones? A whole big like, article. I'm just saying, since like Guantanamo Bay at this point. I mean, we get it. This is like four shows in a row where you've destroyed this person. They closed with three punts, and then the game ended. I mean, the Giants now, like, now fumbles fumbles that are recovered by your own team are as bad as pick sixes with Greg. No, I said, but I I I, I do believe that all fumbles are equal. Whether you lose them or not, like it's silly to make a case between them. That's all. I agree. Did you were saying something, Mark? No, not at this point. (laughs) I've I've given up on this show. Sorry, Mark. Um, Get well soon, my friend. We are uh, almost done. We have one more game to get to. Sunday night football. Oh, Sunday night. Breeze hangs in the pocket, throws wide, wide open. Is he inbounds? Is the question? Smith for the touchdown. Traquan Smith in the end zone. They left him alone. Kept his feet in. Touchdown Saints. Traquan Smith, yes, all alone in the back of the end zone. Gets his feet down. Al Michaels with the call. And that was just the first in many scores for the New Orleans Saints, who romped the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38-3 in Tampa in one of the most surprising outcomes of the 2020 season. Saints move to six and two, uh, extend their winning streak, and, and the Bucks now three losses, two of them to the Saints, and that's a problem. Nick Shook, uh, I are you as surprised as everyone else here? Yeah, so surprised in fact that I might have to change my midseason Super Bowl pick, and and I know that sounds drastic, but. This was a, an embarrassing showing from the Buccaneers who had strung together some really nice games, notably that went over the Packers when they overcame a 10 nothing deficit and really ran away with that one. And you thought, well, this would set up to be a competitive game, um, you know, because you could d- kind of discount their first meeting this year to while well, the Buccaneers didn't have everything figured out offensively and they had really seemed to hit their stride in the last few weeks and then fell completely flat. And not only did they go down 28 to nothing like it was nothing, uh, they they didn't have any semblance of the defense that had been such a strength for them uh, in the weeks prior. And I know field position kind of affected that uh, a little bit, but you know, giving them the ball, giving the Saints the ball deep in, in their own territory did not help. But overall, a team that is expected to win, at least in my opinion, 
doesn't put together performances like this against division rivals in, in a division that they're probably not going to win now um, unless, you know, they, they luck out and the Saints lose a few games and they can kind of uh, regain the lead that way because if it comes down to a tie, obviously they don't have the tiebreaker anymore. It's one of the most surprising games of the year. It, it, you have to say that. I mean, and in, in, in more importantly, it's one of the most uh, influential games of the year because you said it. The Saints have an easier schedule than the Bucks after this. They're up one in the loss column, and they're up you know two with the tie break. Now, it's not crazy to blow what what amounts to a two game lead. The Bucks could still win this division, but for the Saints to play this well and the Bucks to have no answers, uh, especially the Saints defense, uh, just makes you feel like wow, this Saints team is getting better as they go. They survived a few games without Michael. They survived half a season without Thomas. They survived a few games without Sanders and Thomas and Marcus Callaway, who was back there giving them some depth. Uh, Marcus Davenport has been really good for them since he came back. And David Onyemata and that Saints defensive line threw Brady around. I looked at the stats and, you know, the, the QB hits and the sacks, it's like, it's nine and, and three, and that feels big, but it, it felt like it was even more than that because because Brady was pressured so many times where he had to let go of the ball early, and they had no answer. They really missed Ali Marpet, their guard, but you know you can't you can't put on a thirty eight to three loss on your guard being absent. That was just a blood right. Pain. And the Bucks are one of the most or the most blessed team in the league in terms of health of their offensive line. That's the first time anyone on the, their line had missed a start this season. So, you know, everyone deals with adversity eventually uh, on your front line. And I don't remember, you know, I've watched so many, just like you guys, Tom Brady games over the years, hundreds of games. Uh, and you remember the lowlights because they're so few and far between. So, yes, he has had tough moments during his long Patriots run where you were like, ooh, this is – he looks – I don't remember him looking this frustrated or this down. Uh, this is certainly in that small group, a handful of games, where it's just like, man, the frustration on his face and even, you know, the turnovers. And I know at certain point just got a desperation situation, his third pick, where he essentially just threw it up for grabs. I mean, that is something Benny DiNucci does. Uh, in that type of spot. So to see him so out of sorts, to see the defense so out of sorts, Levante David on numerous occasions, multiple occasions, waving his arms frantically, trying to get the rest of the defense in the right position uh, as the Saints uh, gain chunk plays and touchdowns. And they let Taysom Hill, who's been you know a divisive figure uh, for <laughs> Saints fans, to let him come in and have a huge game in prime time I mean, I don't want to call it a, a La Raville Magnifico. La Raville Magnifico. No. Uh, for the Bucks, uh, But also, don't be so quick to say no, Greg, because this is the type of loss where it's just like, huh, we, we, we brushed the Giants game under the rug last week with the Bucks and said, ah, you know, not everybody's going to dominate 16 weeks. And then they followed up with this epic stinker. It, it leaves – it's going to leave some – it's going to leave a mark. I'll put it that way. It will, and they got to play the Chiefs, you know, coming up, so they'll keep getting tested. I, I only discount it because, you know, the, these teams have been changing. Godwin comes back in. He, he's still not quite right with his fingers. Antonio Brown added to the mix. This team has shown their high level is extremely high, 
And now we've learned their lowest game is extremely low. And that's that's worrisome. Uh, but you have seven games to figure out, you know, what what you're going to do. These teams are still kind of learning each other, especially Brady uh, in Tampa. But it's the worst loss of his career. I mean, there, there were in terms of points, um, uh, the deficit, that was the biggest loss he ever had. It's the first time he's ever lost to a, a division opponent twice in a season. So mm-hmm. so the, the, we are hitting we were hitting some uncharted territory. And we Todd, didn't think we didn't think the floor was this low. No one expected no. them to have a floor That's way down we in the basement like this. No. no, not not in a game that was advertised as a potential back and forth and trading of, of the passing touchdown record. It ended up being only one guy finding the end zone. But to a couple points, I mean, one, the adversity thing, you know, not having a guy like Callie Marpet. If this is what your contending team, if this is how they perform when you have a, a, a situation where you're dealing with some adversity, that's extremely concerning going forward because there's no guarantee. In fact, there's probably a guarantee that you're not going to be 100% or near 100% healthy once you get to the playoffs, and you're probably going to run into a team like this or this specific team again. There's I can't trust this team in a playoff matchup with the Saints. I know mm. it's really hard to beat a team three times in one year, but after what I saw tonight combined with what I saw in week one, I mean, I got to take the Saints, not necessarily running away, but I'm pretty confident in that pick, which is not where you want to see these Buccaneers end up. And then also, it's it's just the fact that defensively, you know, uh, we've, we've kind of praised in the last few weeks how Todd Bowles has helped them, you know, whether it's, it's schematically or personnel-wise, has helped them kind of reach, I don't know, what maybe have, might be their peak in up. hindsight by the end of the season. Makes me wonder... Did you try to get too complex? You talked about, Dan, you talked about all of the, the confusion on the field with Levante David trying to get guys in place. That's not something that should be happening in week nine. You should have like a they lot sat of that back, though. Felt like, if anything, they weren't as aggressive as they normally are. They, You know, if Bowles has a weakness like Rex, like like a lot of these sort, like Dennis Allen on the other side, frankly, where they're a little bit of a game plan defense. When it goes bad, sometimes it goes really bad. But they, they actually felt a little... Less aggressive tonight, and Breeze played really well. We, we should give most of the credit to the Saints for just putting it on him in all three phases. B- Breeze made great decisions. He was so calm when he did get pressured, just like evading the free blitzer, you know, throwing open. Taysom Hill was awesome. Like everyone on their team made plays for him. Deontay Harris, uh, Sanders, like people, like everyone on their team just dominated. And it's worth pointing out the Bucks have never been in any big games. None of these guys as a team have ever been in a big game. And the Saints have been in a billion big games. I mean, yeah, but over your quarterback's and over. Tom Brady, right? I mean, well, I'm just saying this team. The but they're a thing. team. They're a team, and they I, they I didn't get that. Talk. And it's amazing they've won 13 to three the last two seasons. And guess what? They're halfway there again. They're probably going to win 12 or 13 games, New Orleans. And guess what? Drew Brees, for all the flaws in his game at this stage of his career, probably going to throw over 30 touchdowns and complete 68% of his passes. And the offense is going to be a top 10 offense, no matter what metric you're looking at. The Saints are going to be in the mix again. He's got Jameis. Jameis doesn't lose. Jameis doesn't lose to the Saints. Did you see that? <laughs> I should mention Mark isn't here, by the way. Mark uh, was feeling a little under the weather, so he took the rest of the night off. And and he doesn't get to uh, enjoy this Taysom Hill performance because this is the first time Taysom Hill truly felt like he was unleashed in a way that really jacked up the game plan of the opposing defense. Two defining things from this game that still really stick out to me. One, what do winning teams do when they're presented opportunities like takeaways? They capitalize on them. The Saints capitalize on every single one that they got tonight, whether it was field position or whether it was turnovers. They made sure that they turned that into points. And the other one, with the really the defining plays or sequence 
of this game for me when it was already out of hand was Sean Payton having no respect for the opposing defense, putting Taysom Hill back there and running the same play multiple times to the strong side, <laughs> power, motioning a blocker from left to right and then from right to left and just daring the Buccaneers to stop it. They didn't stop it. It got him inside the, the five-on-one possession. He ran it two more times in the second half uh, on the same mm. drive, and they didn't stop it then either. And, and I think that type of confidence and also understanding that you've got your opponent in the palm of your hand that's really, really uh, uh, an encouraging sign for the Saints. And, and I'm, you know, I'll say it now. I think I'm back on the Saints train. I didn't know who they were early in the season. They did go through a few valleys back, and Sean. go through some, through some struggles. But uh, going forward, <laughs> I'm pretty confident in this team now. Mm. Who, by the way, who gets more pissed than Al Michaels uh, when there's a blowout? Oh yeah, he was disgusted by the second quarter. He never recovered because <laughs> this was the big Willis game. Start. This this was like the one of the best, if not the best, on their schedule. And the Bucks, um, you know, go out there and give a stinker, Listen. which which is disappointing. Not enough people saw Jameis Winston go creep into the back of Drew Brees' <laughs> post game interview and eat the W like he did on that gift. So I, I didn't see that. Oh, you know what? My favorite part is imagining Jameis Winston waiting like ten minutes after the game so he could creep back, like everyone. Oh. Else is back in the locker room. He ate the W. Yeah, Jameis Revenge. All right, good for him. And, you know, Al, Al, and I love Al. I already miss Al, and he's still here because, you know, he's not going to be here forever. So I I appreciate every game that Al Michaels calls on Sunday night. Al is show business, and Al is about ratings, and he's about the bottom line, and he was not happy with this. And I, it's something that makes me love him even more for some reason, seeing how upset he gets. And Collinsworth, he just rolls along in his folksy way. But Al was stewing. Al also <laughs> like about Sessler uh, in a bad mood stewing. Type uh, Al is also about the math people out in the desert too. Don't forget about that. Oh yeah. yeah, always. All right, that's it. Good show tonight. We got Chris Wessling back, and that was awesome. Heroic performance. I mean, he he's going through a, a lot. Uh, it meant a lot to hear what he said to us that it was the best hour of his week because he wasn't sure oh, that was awesome. He was gonna he was gonna do this show throughout the day, and so it, we were lucky to have him. Right, and he. I mean, he was being modest, but he, before we started taping, he even says he didn't want to mess with our flow because he hadn't been doing shows for the last couple weeks. Hell no, Wes makes our show better. Uh, through his knowledge and his personality and just the fact that he's our friend. Uh, so this is uh, whenever we get to do the show with him, uh, it makes our day better. And we hope to get more of those as the season and the year progresses. Uh, Shook, you've done it again. You've been sixth man of the year. Like, who's your favorite sixth man of the year? Oh, it's got to be your boy. Oh, come on. Yeah, come on. Yeah. It's J.R. Smith. Come on. <laughs> it's got to be J.R. The pipe man. Yeah, the pipe man. That's you. Yeah. That's you. You love being, you love taking your shirt off. It's just, you're just like JR. <laughs> and uh, yes, Mark, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather, but um, hopefully he'll be back with us on Tuesday as well. Thank you to everybody uh, for listening. Until then, this is Dan Hansa signing off for Quiet Storm, the old boss. Ooh, still don't have that Shook nickname locked down yet. Uh, yeah. Working on it. Uh, the Quiet Storm, the mailman, and Ricky Hollywood behind the virtual glass. Until Tuesday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.